There's nothing quite like an opera. Simply defined, an opera is a libretto, or text, put to music. It's an art form that's been around since at least the 1600s. But anyone who has seen one knows it's an immersive experience that is difficult to describe. On this episode, we'll hear some incredible music from the Sarasota Opera and speak with executive director Richard Russell and artistic director and principal conductor Maestro Victor Dorenzi. They'll discuss the work their organization is doing to preserve opera traditions and how they're sharing them with the next generation. I like to talk about breaking down the barriers for people to come to the opera because I think that's really important. I think there are so many misconceptions. We'll also talk with Dolores McKenzie, a former student in Sarasota Opera's youth program, about her experience and love for the stage. I always wanted to perform. I was always like outside in the front yard and like coming up with like little skits and little musicals and things and my mom observed that so she's like we're taking you to Sarasota Youth Opera Auditions you're going from WEDU PBS this is Be More Unstoppable today we welcome executive director Richard Russell and artistic director and principal conductor maestro Victor Derenzi from the Sarasota Opera thank you for being here thank you for having us I'd like to start off with talking about the mission of Sarasota Opera. Richard, can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Our mission is to produce world-class opera in a way that was envisioned by the creators, by the composer and the librettist. What is the process in order to achieve that? We're trying to do the highest quality opera that we can for our audience, uh, which is also part of our mission, to entertain our audience here in Sarasota, throughout Florida, and the world, because we attract audiences from around the world. And and to get to that point, we try to uh, find out as much as we can about the time that the opera was written, but then also find a way to make it work for today's audience, which is very important. We're not the same audience as the audience of 1850 or 1750. Absolutely. Yeah. People evolve. People's tastes evolve. So the fact that you evolve with that is outstanding. Richard, you actually started as a singer with the Sarasota Opera in 89. Is that correct? I did. Uh, 32 years ago now, um, Maestro Dorenzi made the terrible mistake of hiring me to sing as an apprentice artist with the company. And I did that for a number of years and then continued a relationship with the company and came back as part of the administration in 2005. And I've been executive director since 2010. Those were good days because you had to listen to me when you were an apprentice. And now he doesn't have to listen to me at all. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Maestro, I'd like to ask you, what is it that drew you to opera as a career? I grew up on Staten Island and there was a small opera company that one of my teachers made the sets for. And the scenery was minimal. It was four pieces of wood nailed together with cardboard on it. And uh, he suggested to a bunch of us that we should go see the opera. This was in seventh grade. And we finally decided that he was annoying enough that we would all go to the opera. And then we could say, we went to the opera, leave us alone. Who wants to see this? So some of my friends, we, we went together on a Sunday afternoon It was a very big Verdi opera, but it was done in a very small theater without a chorus and without an orchestra and some not very good singers. 
It was called The Force of Destiny, La Forza del Destino. And I just fell in love with it. And I started helping him build sets. I, I started singing in the chorus when there was a chorus in this little company. And I was fortunate. I lived in New York. And in the 60s, there were many great singers who sang at the Metropolitan Opera and New York City Opera. And I went to the, ended up going to the opera about four times a week, which was not really very good for my schoolwork, to say the least. I just, all I wanted to do was be in the theater. I wanted to be with my friends who were also opera lovers. And then at a certain point, I decided I no longer wanted to be one of the people watching it. I wanted to do it. And so when I was 20, I started conducting and have been doing that ever since. And just really started with, with listening to the music a lot. And then listening to singers that I just fell in love with the actual sound of their voices and with singing itself, because I don't think you could love opera unless you love singing and love singers. Would you agree, Richard? I would agree. You know, yes, I, I think I, that's true. I, I don't, you can't really separate them. Now, when you mentioned that you decided you no longer wanted to be in the audience, but you wanted to be part of it, did you at that point seek formal training? Yes, I had been studying piano for a while, and I was a music major in college and studied theory and orchestration, all the things you have to study. But I was very fortunate in the early 70s in New York, there was a lot of opportunity to conduct, to make music. And I did many really bad performances of, you know, with very small orchestra, and uh, we were lucky we got out alive sometime. <laughs> But um, it was really a good way for me to, to learn how to conduct, to, to learn how to communicate with musicians and to get them. I think the important thing for me about it, conducting is that I have to learn the music and then I have to teach it. But then all of us, in a sense, have to do it for the audience. And I love those, those three steps of it because just sitting with music at a piano is not satisfying to me. I want to share that music with other performers. And then I like that we all share it together with the audience. I thought when when you said, you know, when you decided to come from the audience and to be a performer, was he going to seek professional help? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so intrigued by young people getting into opera because it's something that's very unique. You don't hear about that very much, um, you know, through a lot of the schools or even through peers. It's you know, you don't normally see kids on the playground going, "Did you guys catch that opera last night?" Oh, you haven't been around our youth opera program then, because we have lots of young people who are involved in opera. I got interested in opera as a kid. I was in the fifth grade. I had a great music teacher who loved opera and introduced us to it, and I got hooked as a young person myself. I love that. Maestro, I also wanted to ask you about being made a Knight of the Order of the Star of Italy. The order is exists for, for people who have brought Italian culture beyond Italy. And at the end of the Verdi cycle, uh, I was awarded the, the knighthood. And it's because we were the only company in the world that has performed all of Verdi's music, not just his operas, not just some of his music, but all of his music, and that includes the bigger companies, you know, La Scala, Italian companies, even the company where Verdi is from, never achieved that. And we should explain that, of course, Giuseppe Verdi is Italy's greatest opera composer and a very important part of not just music, but also Italian culture. So by bringing his works to the rest of the world, uh, we are helping to promote Italian culture. 
I would love to talk a little bit more about uh, the Opera House and Sarasota Opera, but let's go ahead, since you mentioned it, about the Verity Cycle. I'm fascinated by this because, Maestro, you did become the only maestro in the world to conduct every available work of Verdi's. That's true, I did. Um, we started this cycle in 1989, actually Richard's first year with us, and it, it took us until 2016 to actually ac- accomplish that. What It's interesting that you use the word available because one of the hard parts of doing the cycle was finding what music was available and finding a way to, to get it. So uh, just the putting the pieces together was not easy, but uh, with the help of a lot of people around the world who helped me find music, who I, I could ask questions to, who were really important scholars in the field, we were able to achieve that. We wanted our listeners to be able to experience a piece of the Verdi cycle. So here's a clip of Va Pensiero from Verdi's Nabucco, performed by the Sarasota Opera Chorus and Sarasota Opera Orchestra. Why is it that Verdi's work is so special to you and this became something that you wanted to accomplish? Ah, that question, why I love Verdi. Well, we no longer live in a time where people who write music were important. We live in a time where the people who perform the music was important. But if we can think back to the 1800s before film and before radio and television and recordings, the important people were Schubert, Beethoven, and Verdi. So Verdi was famous throughout the world just as much as anyone is famous throughout the world today. There are a few reasons why I love him and why he's so famous. First of all, in the Opera House, his works are very compelling. He he writes music and tells a story in a way that makes you want to listen. He wrote the greatest melodies of all time, and most of us constantly, even today, hear Verdi melodies in in uh, advertisement and in other places, not even knowing that he wrote them. But for me, the most important thing is Verdi tells a story about humanity. He places characters on stage and through his music reveals their humanity and hopefully helps us understand the human situation and understand other people. And I think that's really what makes him a great composer, that he could write a story about kings and queens and people who have everything in the world and yet are just like we are, have the same desires and the same 
foibles and the same same life in, in certain ways. And I think that's what makes him stand out. You know, you speak about humanity. And I mean, certainly we can use a lot more of that these days. I, I feel like the Sarasota Opera has such a wonderful message to share with folks in such a beautiful and classical way. And certainly, I'm I'm sure when the Sarasota Opera House first opened, it wasn't exactly the flourishing art community that Sarasota is today. Can you talk a little bit about that history, how the Sarasota Opera just kind of flourished from back in the day? Well, of course, we're talking about two different things here, actually, because the theater that we own and we operate as the Sarasota Opera House actually dates back to 1926. It was a vaudeville and movie house known as the Edwards Theater and later the Florida Theater. And it was a very important part of the community of downtown Sarasota. It was actually built as a marketing tool for the man who was a big real estate agent in Sarasota at the time. But over the years, uh, it was uh, an important fixture of downtown, but as downtown kind of uh, deteriorated, it became disused and was closed. We as a company, we started in 1961 at, or 1960 rather, at the old, what's now known as the historic Oslo Theater, but we were looking for a venue in which to perform that allowed us to do more because the historic Oslo Theater doesn't have room for an orchestra. It only had 300 seats. So we found this theater. Uh, our My predecessors made a great real estate deal. They bought it for $173,000 and over a number of years renovated it so that in 1984, we were able to reopen the theater as the Sarasota Opera House. Now, in those days, downtown Sarasota was not what it is now. It was quite run down, uh, not very safe. And it was the opening of the Opera House, really, that spurred the rebuilding of downtown Sarasota and created an arts district along with the Florida Studio Theater and really started the revitalization of downtown. Richard, when you first came in 1989, I've been here since 82. There was very little downtown, very few restaurants, very few buildings. But because people were coming to the opera, more people used downtown, went to the restaurants and wanted to live downtown. And I think the opera really is so much responsible for that happening in Sarasota, the growth of downtown and Sarasota as a whole. We, we constantly hear from uh, our donors that they moved here to Sarasota, not to Miami, not to Fort Lauderdale, not to Naples, but to Sarasota because of the opera and because of the arts community in general. What a beautiful testament to the opera that it built a flourishing arts community in Sarasota, which is such a gorgeous community to begin with. But the fact that it all began because of the opera is absolutely wonderful. What else do you feel makes the Sarasota opera unique? Well, you you know, something you just said, I think, is really important because it's something we value very highly at Sarasota Opera, and that's community. Because we live in a place it's a retirement community, a lot of people come from other places. They find their local community when they move here through the opera. They see the same people coming night after night to the performances, they socialize with them. So we're really proud of the fact that a lot of our patrons, our audience members, our donors, they've created their community through the opera. And I think that's very important. There are also many, many aspects of the company that we have a lot to be proud of. Our youth opera program, our apprentice opera program, both of which Maestro Dorenzi started, which have led to the um, innovation that Sarasota Opera is known for and led to you know, careers in opera and other fields and also led to young people being interested in the art form. 
And when, when we talk about community, it's not just the community of Sarasota, but every year we bring together 300 performers who come from all over the world to, to make this opera happen. And also a community of opera lovers. We have people who come from London every year, people who come from Canada, all over the world. We do productions of operas sometimes that can't be seen, but also operas that people don't necessarily do the way we do them with our respect for the composer and the opera itself. For me, th- just knowing about the the Verity cycle alone shows the amount of passion that Sarasota Opera has. Now, earlier we touched on the fact that opera is not readily available to a lot of young people these days. So I would love to hear more about your youth outreach initiatives at Sarasota Opera. There's been so many cutbacks over the years for the arts and the schools that the arts community, Sarasota Opera, but all, all of us have taken up that slack. We do a lot of things in the schools. We send performers to the schools. We bring students to the opera to rehearsals and performances, but we also have a really important, I'd say the only one in the country, program for young people where they could learn all about opera, about singing, about acting, costumes, how to build sets, what it's like to be in the theater. And it starts with a summer camp, which we've had for many years now. We do do a summer camp to introduce them to opera, and then we form them into a community. And ultimately, they do their own opera on our stage. They do their own production. It's all kids. I think we've had as many as 106 of them on stage, but the orchestra, everybody involved in that, the costumes, the the musicians, everyone else are professionals. And it's, it's really a fantastic program. We're all very proud of it. Here's a recording of the Sarasota Youth Opera singing Raise Up Your Voice from the prologue to Brundabar by Martha Collins and Jesse Martins. find that youth nowadays has that same passion for opera as perhaps like 10 years ago? Children are open to something that is interesting, that they can find interesting. And certainly uh, I've seen it. You know, I've seen people, I know there are people whose, whose lives have been changed. Many of them have gone on to uh, actually to be performers in opera or work in administration, but also just meeting someone on the street who says, I was in the youth opera and I decided I would go study, you know, in Germany or France or something. So we constantly see that. Now, your apprentice and studio artist program, is that separate from the youth outreach? Yes, those are professional singers who are beginning their professional careers. So these are people who have graduated college, usually have gone to a music school or a conservatory, and are looking to pursue a career as a professional singer. So they come to us in the early stages of their career. We give them additional training through coachings with 
musicians and language language skills, and also give them performance opportunities. The apprentice artists are our chorus in our professional performances. They also may understudy some smaller roles and, and perform some smaller roles. Our studio artists are slightly more advanced. They usually perform some of the smaller roles in the operas, and then we call it cover, but it's the same as understudy, uh, the principal roles. And it gives them lots of experience and opportunity and some very often because we have what is rather a long season very often a singer gets sick and their understudy gets to go on so we have prepared understudies to be able to take over and that very often will lead for more opportunities for these members of our program and we've had many of our apprentices who've become studio members and studio members who've gone on to perform big roles with us but also to perform in opera houses all over the world that's so absolutely impressive Let's shift a little bit and talk about how COVID affected the Sarasota Opera, because obviously we know that many things were shut down, including the ability to be able to perform live. Can you tell us what it felt like at the beginning and, and how you had to make a shift? It was going to be over right away. We're, we were, we, were right we thought we <laughs> thought it was going to last a month or, you know, yeah. it, you know, when we were told we had to cancel performances because we were uh, three quarters of the way through our season when we had to shut down. Uh, we thought, you know, maybe a couple months and we'd be back. So we started making plans. We started making a plan for being able to be back in the fall. Well, we had to get rid of that plan. And so then we started making plans of having a regular normal season in the winter. Well, then we had to get rid of that plan. So what we did is we, we were determined, first of all, not to be silent. We were determined to keep the music going and to keep a connection with our community. So immediately we went virtual. We started putting performances online. Uh, we had singers who in, who were involved in something we called Suddenly Opera, where at five o'clock they would go out on their front porch or their driveway or some other place and start singing. And they did this all around the country. And some of it was actually picked up on newscasts in different places in Rochester and Pittsburgh. Um, so we started that initiative. And then later in the summer, we started bringing singers on the back of a truck into various places. It was a little hot, but we managed to do it. And then we started planning for trying to bring back performances in the Opera House. I think we did five plans. I think over the <laughs> Which involves choosing operas, making budgets, and then tearing up paper. But there was, you know, it was such a level of uncertainty. And of course, the arts were one of the first businesses to shut down, and we will be probably the last business to fully reopen. We are actually the only opera company in the United States to do an indoor season this year. We did four operas in February and April and brought, you know, brought together a group of singers. We were able to employ musicians and, and, and have an opera season. Nobody else was able to do that. So we're very proud of that fact that we're able to, to continue to perform despite COVID. We actually have a clip of someone who participated in Suddenly Opera last year. This is tenor Samuel Schlievert singing Vesti la Juba from Pagliacci. Suddenly Opera. How were you able to adapt 
to starting those live performances again. Right now I'm sitting next to Richard. We're talking to you, but we were not allowed to talk to each other for three months. Richard dealt in great detail with protocol and we separated the performers, including me, from the rest of the community because Richard had to be out in the audience. He almost was going to have a part this year, but you turned it down because he had to be, <laughs> had to be in the audience. And uh, so we had to stay, we, had, we stayed separate for most of the time. We were able to create some very rigid health and safety protocols. We chose works. Uh, we, we threw out our, our planned season and chose a number of works that were short. They were between an hour and an hour and a half long. They had small casts. One of the operas had three people in it. One had five. The largest one had a small chorus of 12, 12. I think. We had small orchestra. Uh, so we kept the numbers of people involved limited so we knew we could keep them all separate and safe. And we all housed them all in our apartments that we own. We were able to keep them in a bubble. They were not allowed to go out to restaurants or to do anything where large pe groups of people uh, congregated. And we tested on a regular basis to make sure that everybody was healthy and safe. And happily, we got through it without any issues. Our company stayed safe and healthy. Our audiences came. They were socially distanced. We only performed to 20% of the capacity of the Opera House. So we were able to do that. And, and it was really uh, a lot of hard work by a lot of people in order to be able to do this. What was that moment like when you had that first audience in-house again? Because I was in the audience, you weren't. No, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, he wasn't allowed outside the orchestra pit. The, the experience for me was, I, I make it a habit after every performance of standing out on the sidewalk as people are leaving. Because I think people should have somebody to react to whether they like it or not. And our audience coming out of the theater were, many were close to tears. And the thing that I heard more than once is that I feel like I have my life back. I can go to a theater. I can, And even though we told people they needed to wear masks and kept them distance, they felt like they were able to, to do something that they hadn't been able to do for nearly a year. The both of you just are so passionate about it. I, I was feeling emotional hearing you describe that first night having the audience there. We have a clip of one of this year's shows. This is Sarasota Opera's performance of Rossini's The Happy Deception. For anyone who is a novice at opera, it is obviously so fascinating and there's so much passion in it, but there are a lot of people who still don't know much about it. What would you say to someone to inspire them to become an opera fan? And like, what's kind of the, the first step a person can take? The first step is coming to the theater. But if you watch TV, every time somebody mentions opera, somebody goes, uh, or I can't believe you're going to the opera. My girlfriend wants to go to the opera. There's a lot of negative stuff there about opera. I have found people tell me that they don't really like opera. And when I ask them what they've seen, they usually say, oh, I've never really been to one. You know, I hear somebody mocking it on TV. So mm -hmm. there's a, a greatness about opera that is obviously in the music and in the story. But there's also this sense of community 
all we do is come together. We don't have, I have no idea if I'm in the opera house, if somebody next to me agrees with me politically or has more money than I do or less money, is younger or older. We just all love the same thing. And uh, that's an important, important thing. It's, there are very few places in our community, in a community where you can do that. It's also truly live music. There are no microphones in the opera house. If it's too loud, it's because the singers are singing too loud. And if it's too soft, it's because they're singing too softly. But it, it is unique in that way that opera and symphony orchestras in, this, uh, in the world today are probably the only places that are not microphoned. So I would just say to try it. I don't think you have to prepare. We don't care how you're dressed. Uh, some people come to the opera and they are decked out and some people look like they just came off the beach. We, we want you in the opera house. We, we hope you enjoy it. I have to say that's one of the things that I experienced a little more this season in that people, I think, were longing to be back with other people. And they were Zoomed out on, you know, Zoom conference calls, streaming of performances, watching them on TV. They wanted to be in a theater. You know, you say people were dressed like they're going to the beach. I saw that. There were people who passed by the opera house and said, you had something going on. You have an opera performance happening. We're going and bought a ticket and went in. And they, you know, they weren't wearing a suit or a tie or a tux or anything. They just wanted to be with people. And I think that's an important part of the experience of going to the opera. I mean, the music is beautiful. We love the music. We love the stories. The stories are great. It's passionate, but it's also a communal experience. It's being with with a group of people in a theater hearing a live, unamplified voice. I think that makes opera great. I'm really glad that you both mentioned the fact that all kinds of people go from dressed to the nines to folks who are in their beachwear. Because I think sometimes for people who aren't very familiar with opera, they in their head, they're thinking, I need a ball gown. I need like, you know, the fancy glasses to be able to go to the opera. And this is clearly not the case. And also opera lovers come from very different backgrounds. My father was a dock worker. You know, I spent my early years as a kid. I was not doing anything very special. Richard, your family is, you know, middle class family. And people have this idea about people who love opera are, I don't know, intellectuals or something. It's really not true. And it, they do themselves a, di a disservice, unfortunately. Yeah. So I, I'm just so glad to be able to share that. Well, for the longest time, one of the great barriers for people to go to the opera was language, because it's very often in, a, in Italian or French or German. But even that's not an issue anymore. In just about every opera house I've, I've been to in the last 30 years, the translation is above the stage for you to be able to follow along. So you don't need to worry about that. It really, it doesn't... Some people like to prepare, like to know the story in advance, but it doesn't require it. And the fact that people, again, like I said, just passed by the opera house, saw it was happening, and bought a ticket and came in. The other thing I often hear is opera is too expensive, and it's really not. I mean, we're not that much more expensive than a, a movie theater. Now, I am going to put our producer, Serena, on the spot for a second, because I know that she is a fan of opera. You got into opera when you were 10 years old, correct? It was a fifth grade field trip to the Sarasota Opera House, actually, and we saw Carmen, uh -huh. which... I think it's a great opera for first-timer. That was my first opera. Was it? <laughs> it was my first opera, too. Yeah, Carmen. And I was conducting your car, the Carmen you saw. So I'm sure. I didn't, I didn't recognize you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that because, you know, she remembers very vividly that Carmen was her first opera. So I, I wanted to kind of talk about, like, 
you know, what what is a good opera for a first timer to maybe check out? Well, I like Carmen because, first of all, it's a very recognizable story, has lots of melodies that you will have heard someplace else, the Toreador song or the Habanera. So I think Carmen's a great first opera. I think there are some others, though. I yeah, I think Puccini, Verdi are always good. Mozart, some Mozart. And, uh, but, you know, people have different tastes. Opera is like food. Some people love French food and don't eat Italian food. Some people love Chinese food but don't want to eat Mexican food. And it's hard to tell what's going to grab someone. We've done a lot of romantic operas, but we've also done contemporary operas. We we did a series of American classic operas, operas that were written in the 60s and 70s. And people had come to that who had never been to the opera and just fell in love with opera. So I think the tendency, though, is to say operas like La Boheme or Tosca. And especially if we're doing the opera, then I would recommend you come to that one. <laughs> Wonderful. I like to talk about breaking down the barriers for people to come to the opera because I think that's really important. I think there are so many misconceptions and, you know, the whole dress thing where people feel like they have to spend a lot of money and dress up or although sometimes there was an interesting study that was done. Uh, one of our uh, colleagues in Colorado did a study about people, younger people going to the opera and what did they like about it? And one of them said, you know, we actually love to dress up. It gives us permission to be fabulous. That's a that I want to use that <laughs> in our marketing going forward. But it gives it's an opportunity for everybody. And and the fact that people come from all different backgrounds, you know, the, the history of opera is that it was started by intellectuals and supported by the, you know, the aristocracy. But when you get to the 19th century in Italy, it was the place where everybody went. Well, and here as well. In and America, you, yeah, America. you did it every every Western town that was, you know, that was built in the Wild West. What's the first thing they built? An opera house. Because it was the place for the for people to, to get together and to, and to join together and, and be a community. Also, I would tell someone not to think that our audience is judgmental. I have found opera audiences, no matter who they are, really want people to love what they love. So if they see someone who's never been to the opera, they're not looking and saying, well, you know, where are your opera glasses or why are you dressed that way? We all want to share this. It belongs to everyone. And, the, you know, come, come and, and listen. And your neighbor sitting next to you will love the fact that you're there. Simply having this conversation with the both of you, and I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the podcast, your passion when you speak about the opera is infectious. And I can completely see why fans of the opera would feel the exact same way. And, and now I feel compelled to want to go to the opera because, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit I was one of those people who has always been a bit intimidated because I thought maybe opera is a little bit over my head. Maybe I'm not fancy or intellectual enough to be able to go. But listening to the both of you today speak so passionately, it makes me want to experience that for myself. So I appreciate you both so very much. From the Sarasota Opera Executive Director Richard Russell and Artistic Director and Principal Conductor Maestro Victor Dorenzi. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
Right now you're listening to our next guest, Dolores McKenzie, perform in a production of George Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Dolores is an alumna from the Sarasota Youth Opera Program. Welcome, Dolores McKenzie, to the Be More podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so we spoke with Maestro Dorenzi and Richard Russell about the Sarasota Opera Youth Program. Started in 1984. So when exactly did you join the program? I joined the program in 1999, and I stayed with the program until 2006. That was my last production. What was it that made you enroll? Because from what I understand, your mom was kind of like the driving force with you actually getting into the program, yes? Yeah, I always wanted to perform. I was always like outside in the front yard and like coming up with like little skits and little musicals and things. And my mom observed that and um, she got me involved right away. We went to auditions and I remember being out in the audience and she had to like convince me to go up on stage because I was really, really shy, but I had this love for just being on stage and admired people who did it. So she's like, we're taking you to Sarasota Youth Opera Auditions, you're going. (laughs) And then later that that year, I was in the production, that first production in 1999 of The Black Spider. And I played like a soldier. I mean, that's pretty big. Now, how old were you at that time? Um, that was 1999. Oh, gosh, you're going to make me do math. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, if you remembered like right off uh, the bat because, um, you know, because like being a child, yeah. that's a pretty big step to take to go from being a kid that likes to perform in her front yard yeah. to actually getting on stage with a youth opera program. Yeah. So I was uh, 11 or 12 when, yeah, when I was first in the in my first production. So let's talk a little bit about the program. What was it like for you? Kind of like a like a day to day. So um, when uh, big productions weren't um, in progress, we would have the Sarasota Youth Opera. And it was like a um, a program, a training program for youth. And we the, we were taught like music theory. We were taught opera appreciation. We were taught uh, a repertoire of different classical music. At one point, they divided us into like the treble mixed chorus and um, oh goodness, what was the name of the other chorus? There were three different like versions. It was based on voice type and age. And once I, when I first started, I was in the treble chorus, and it was just all women. And we would travel to different nursing homes and sometimes perform at different art festivals but like within that we were taught like how to like properly warm up your voice and sing music and like learn how to sing music in different languages so just like phonetics of like different sounds and stuff so like the day-to-day was coming in signing in um warming up going over parts uh individual parts with different um songs and yeah it just from that we you you met people we had like great friendships like I just l- started to love opera I never thought like because I grew up in a, a a gospel background church I started singing on church so I was on stage but I um I never was doing it like actively it was just like okay it's time for the kids to go up and sing so like my mom would like drag me up there <laughs> but um <laughs> right so it's, it's almost like you had this raw talent yeah. and your mom saw that in you um but I find it fascinating because one of the things that we spoke with with Maestro and with Richard is the path that a child takes to find the opera. Mm -hmm. 
So for you, it was, was it when you were sitting in that audience? Was that when you discovered opera and thought that's something I would be interested in participating yeah, in? Yeah, so I actually saw an, an opera production. I don't think it was a Sarasota Youth Opera production. It was a main stage production and there were um, kids in it. And when I saw just like everyone performing on stage and the costumes, the lighting, the orchestra, I was like, wow, this this is amazing. I want to be a part of it. But I at that time, I was I didn't think much of it more than just, oh, it was a really, really great show. I didn't see myself up there, but I just really admired it. So speaking of the maestro, did you get to work directly with him during the Sarasota Youth Opera? Yes. So there were times where the Sarasota Opera would use the youth opera in some of their productions when they needed kids and um, offstage choruses. So um, I actually was able to do quite a few productions with him, like, you know, heading the charge. And I remember one time we were rehearsing for The Love of Three Kings. Don't ask me to re- um, what it actually is in Italian because I can't remember how to pronounce <laughs> it. Um, but it was The Love of Three Kings and we were going over some parts in the chorus and he just was like, oh, I don't like it. I don't know what's wrong. So everyone just like take away all the consonants and just say the vowels. And just the, the difference between like that just slight change in direction just made the sound just more pure and clear clearer. Because imagine having to put all these different types of voices together and make them sound like one. And I remember that how he was just so direct about, no, just take all the consonants out and just say the vowels. And um, we did that and it sounded much better. But like we had to go back and like put the consonants in because you can't just sing vowels. But just like <laughs> I didn't know that that was a way to just like get a, a particular tone. And he's he's great. And I learned so much from him just just observing like how he works and how he teaches and the passion that he has behind his art. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what were some of your favorite things that you learned as part of the program and maybe that you still carry with you today? Sometimes we would have like a, a drama teacher come in and just do some acting exercises. It would just be like playing like the mirror game or um, getting up and just taking a word and expounding on it I use that every time I'm like in an acting situation and I I remember like the things that they would tell me just like trust your instincts and like never say um no just go with it because it just opens up your mind to just being more creative I definitely use that all the time when I'm filming self-tapes because you know when you do stuff over and over again when you're performing like it gets old so just you just like going back to those fundamental things that I learned as a kid in the Sarasota Youth Opera just like opens up your mind to different like perspectives of a song because if you do it like six times a week you got to find different ways to like um, experience it yeah for sure because um, you know a lot of people especially those who aren't in the performing arts they don't realize that you are performing the same thing over and over but for different audiences and you have to dig in there and find that new passion every single time and not go on autopilot yeah. <laughs> because you do you do want to make sure that every audience gets that the best experience possible. Totally. Totally. And it's each day is different. Sometimes it's it's really easy to tap in, other days it's it's harder. But you just kind of have to go with what go with the flow. Because some like last night like it was really easy for me to tap into like the the songs I'm doing a show at the West Coast Black Theater Troupe and these songs are like very, you know, 70s and like energetic. And like if you don't have like that energy from the audience, it's hard to like tap in right mm-hmm. away. You just have to like get creative, maybe be a little silly and then it warms them up. But um, yeah, just tapping back into those fundamentals of just seeing what 
the audience needs that night. Now, I know that this is one of those questions that it's kind of think you have to dig deep for this one. But um, how do you feel that your life would be different without the experience of actually had participated in the Sarasota Youth Opera Program? I for sure would have lost my voice on several contracts. Maybe I wouldn't even wouldn't have been singing or had a, such a uh, successful singing career without just learning how the voice works and how not to push it. For sure. I Maybe I wouldn't have even been singing like I am professionally. So speaking of singing professionally, where is your life now? Like, what are you up to these days? I am living in beautiful Astoria, New York with my husband, and I am pursuing Broadway auditions, Broadway uh, shows, and I have an agent, and I'm doing commercial auditions, and um, soon I'll be doing television. So this little young girl who was shy to get on a stage is now, like, auditioning for commercials and TV and and voiceover. So I've come a long way. Awesome. You know, one of the things that we did speak to Maestro Dorenzi and Richard Russell about was the importance of having something like Sarasota Opera within the community mm-hmm. and just how it really just inspires and helps people to grow. I mean, look at you. You're a <laughs> wonderful success story. Um, so in your opinion, why do you think that programs like the Sarasota Youth Opera are so important? Well, for me, I wasn't the because I grew up in a very, very arts um, church and community and there were so many talented people around me. So I kind of got looked over at times. But when I came to the Sarasota Youth Opera, I felt like I could also have a platform. You know, when you have so many talented people, not everybody's going to get a chance to shine. And I definitely got a chance to shine at the Sarasota Youth Opera. I definitely felt that I had a voice and it stood out from like my family members because my brothers was like the super talented, like always working one. And my sister was talented as well. And I was like, okay, well, Dolores can also like bring something to the table and make people like smile (laughs) and dance. And yeah, (laughs) you know. Kind of hard when all of your all siblings, my siblings were just like talented super also. talented, and I'm just like, oh, I'm the shy. Like I started from on the, on the production side. I was like a uh, stagehand for a show at the Sarasota Players. So it's it's been a kind of a really Cinderella story for me because I started in the back and now and featured in in shows. It's it's really amazing how you know through time and practice and working with people and just having outlets like the Sarasota Youth Opera, I was able to blossom into what I needed to be. What an incredible journey. Dolores McKenzie, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Veronica. You're awesome. (laughs) For more information about the Sarasota Opera, please visit sarasotaopera.org. Thank you for listening to Be More Unstoppable. This podcast is produced by WEDU PBS in West Central Florida. For more information, please visit wedu.org slash unstoppable. And to learn more about all of our podcasts, visit wedu.org slash podcasts.